So, this week, the, 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 this message this week has, has once again been a struggle. I feel like that all of these commands of Christ have been hard to preach. I believe that the commands of Christ exist because whenever we follow them, we become more like Jesus. And as the person who gets to stand up on this stage most weeks to, to talk with you all, I want you guys to know something about me. I have never preached a sermon that I have mastered the application. I have never preached a sermon that I have mastered the application. I promise you, I want to be somebody like the Apostle Paul who said, follow me as I follow Christ. I want to be able to set that example for you. But as I say what I'm going to say today, please don't take this as somebody standing on a stage and pointing their finger down at you. (laughs) But understand that this is something that I undoubtedly struggle with as well. But I want to start by saying this. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I believe that he lived and died and defeated the grip of sin and shame and death when on the third day he was resurrected from the dead. I believe that he ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. I believe in the Holy Spirit, who is the continual presence of Christ within us. I believe that he, the Holy Spirit, is the seal of our salvation, the one who allows God to recognize us as his own. So many of you have said words like this at some point in your life. Maybe you said them whenever you were, you know, praying a prayer. Maybe you said them just before you hopped into a baptistry. But this is what I believe. What about you? Do you believe this? Like no matter what the situation is that you're currently facing, do you hold to the confession that you professed? Or, or, or does that confession come with qualifiers? You know what I mean, right? Like, like, God, as long as you hold up your end of the deal, then I'll believe. As long as I'm happy, as long as I'm healthy, then I'll believe. As long as I am wealthy with plenty of money in the bank, as long as my marriage is good, then I'll believe. As long as I get the promotion, as long as I get into the school of my dreams, then I'll believe. As long as I make the team, I'll believe. As long as I find that special someone to spend the rest of my life with, then I'll believe. As long as my loved one is healed, God, as long as you hold up your end of the deal, or at least what I perceive to be your end of the deal, then I'll believe. Another way that I could say this is, as long as believing is easy or profitable 
or status quo or comfortable, then I'm in. But here's the question we have to wrestle with today. But what about when it's not? And I want you to understand this. All the things that I just mentioned are great things. And all the things I just mentioned are undoubtedly things that we should pray for, and we should pray for, and we should pray for. We should never stop praying for these kinds of things. You have a loved one who once was a follower of Jesus, who no longer is following Jesus. Is that the qualifier? I hope not, but I hope that you also never stop praying for your loved one who once believed, who is no longer believing. We continue to pray for these things, but you have to understand that none of the things that I just mentioned are promises that Jesus gives us, at least not on this side of eternity. And one of the scariest things that we can face in our faith is how it can be so easy to convince ourselves that the pain that we face or the unforeseen circumstances that we face are in some way proof of God's absence in our lives, proof of God's tardiness in our lives, proof of God's apathy over what's taking place in our lives. But I know that this this thinking has like invaded, especially the American church, the Western church, it has just, like, like this kind of mindset has just washed all over it and it's led to this theology that's known as this health and wealth and prosperity gospel. This is the gospel that John Piper says is, is one of America's most lamentable exports into the rest of the world. So, what happens when things are not easy? What happens when things are not profitable or status quo or even comfortable? Is it at that moment that our faith and our belief begins to fade? Or is it whenever our circumstances just don't make any kind of sense that we, we refuse to allow ourselves to believe in the first place? And again, I want you to hear me on this. I want you guys to hear my heart today because I say this fully aware that so many of you have suffered in ways that I cannot even begin to comprehend. And I know that so many of you have suffered in ways and hurt so badly, yet you've continued to remain faithful. But I also know that so many of you have hurt in inexpressible ways, who have experienced all kinds of tragic loss. I also know that if I ask some of you, how is it, why do you continue to show up that your answer would be, because of what you believe, leaving and not believing has just simply never been an option. But the reason that this is so important, this idea of God holding up his end of the deal, the reason that this is so important, if you, and again, if you don't listen to anything for the rest of this time, please listen to this. The reason this is so important is because when it comes to God holding up his end of the deal, He fully and completely did so when he sent his son, Jesus, to take on our sin. He fully and completely did so when he sent his son to literally become our sin, to become sin on our behalf, so that through him we might become the righteousness of God. 
He provided everything that we could ever need to find our way back to him. He provided everything that we could ever need to remain faithful to him, even when life just doesn't make sense. So again, all of this brings up this question. What do we do when faith is hard? What do we do when faith is costly, when it's against the grain, and when it's uncomfortable? Here's the good news I have for you today. This is exactly where our command of Christ comes into play. Here's the bad news. This is really, really hard. But before I go any further, I want to tell you a story about some friends of mine. Their names were Lance and Jackie Ledford. And Lance and Jackie were at the church that I was at in Joplin, Missouri. And I mean, Lance and Jackie, they had a slew of children. I don't even remember how many kids. It's like seven, eight. I mean, it's, you're running out of digits to, to count the number of kids that they, they had. And then they end up becoming pregnant once again, and they give birth to this beautiful little girl named Nellie May. And for the first five months of Nellie May's life, everything was great. She was the most smiley and bubbly baby that you could ever hope to see. But then whenever she was around five months old, she, she had this fever and, and, and just these different health things that just wouldn't go away. So they went to the doctor, went to their pediatrician, and the doctor said, oh, it's just a little infection. Don't worry about it. It'll run its course. So they go home, and, and a, a couple of weeks later, they go back, and oh, yeah, that's so weird that it hasn't gone away yet, but... But just, you know, plenty of fluids and all that stuff, everything will be, will be fine. This happened about three different times, so they just went to the pediatrician looking for something and, and, and basically just being told that, you know, it's just an infection, earache, something like that, everything will be all right. And so the fourth time, instead of calling the pediatrician, they just took Nellie Mae to the emergency room because things were not getting better. And I'll never forget this day because it was a Wednesday. And on this Wednesday, we knew that Nellie Mae had gone to the emergency room. And so at the church throughout the morning, we're just kind of checking to see how things are going. And they're sending us pictures of Nellie Mae with IVs in her arms and a big smile on her face. And so we ask, is everything okay? Yeah, things are fine. Things are fine. We sent that text message around probably 9.30 in the morning. Around noon, we... We text again, and we find out, yeah, they're becoming a little bit more concerned. Shortly after that, we get a text message from them finding out that Nellie Mae is being life-flighted from Joplin to Springfield, Missouri. We check in around 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and yeah, they're trying to figure it out. They, they can't figure out what's going on. 3 o'clock that afternoon, we get the text message that says that Nellie Mae is gone. And I'll never forget it because I was the discipleship minister at the church, but the lead pastor was out of town, and the executive pastor was out of town. And so that puts me in charge. And so that night, we had these huge Wednesday night programming. We canceled all the programming, and we just had a prayer night for the Ledford family Singing songs, I was supposed to get up and say something. 
But here's what I'll never forget about that night. The last song before I was supposed to get up and speak. I'm sitting on the front row and I see coming down the aisle out of my periphery, Lance and Jackie Ledford. And they go straight to the front of the stage and they fall on their knees and they lift their hands and they begin to praise their God. I have no idea what I said that night. And I can promise you, nobody who was there has any idea what I said that night. But the picture of these parents who just lost their six-month-old baby girl at the foot of the stage with their arms lifted high, that picture will be seared into my mind for the rest of my life. And you see that kind of inspirational faithfulness, and it's like, that just doesn't make sense. How do you do that? But the crazy thing is, is that all throughout the New Testament, we read about pain and trials and and persecution and brokenness. Like, this is a guarantee that these things are going to happen. And over and over and over again, we are told how we are to respond in those situations. And the way that we are told to respond, I'm giving you like the sermon right now. The way that we're told to respond over and over and over again is this. To rejoice. We talked about the Sermon on the Mount a couple of weeks ago. And and I I said that, you know, we we normally read about the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And this is the sermon that I don't believe Jesus preached his sermon one time. And it's like, okay, that was a good one. Putting that in the filing cabinet, you know. Like, I think that this was Jesus' sermon that every time he went to a new area or met with a new group of people, like, this is what he preached. Because this was so foundational to everything that he was about, every reason that he had come, and everything he had been sent to accomplish is covered in the Sermon on the Mount. But another place where we read at least parts of the Sermon on the Mount is in Luke chapter 6, and it's here. It's here in Luke chapter 6 where Jesus says these words, Blessed are you, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, when they insult you, And they reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. And here's your command. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Rejoice and leap for joy. Because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. Did you catch that? When you are hated, when you are excluded, when you are insulted because of the name of the Son of Man, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. But here's the why. And the why here is so important because it is so applicable to all different kinds of pain. And it is so foundational to us being able to withstand and rejoice through all types of pain. The why is this? Because great is your reward in heaven. I believe that one of the reasons we are so prone to giving up when we don't feel that God is keeping up his end of the deal is because far too often we have a broken view of who God really is and what God has really promised. We fail to comprehend the beauty and the victory that is found in our reward 
in heaven. And what's so interesting about this command of Christ, this command to rejoice and leap for joy in the middle of pain and frustration, is that it wasn't just a command of Christ. It is a command that is found all throughout the New Testament. James, the half-brother of Jesus, he talks about it. The Apostle Paul, he talks about it again and again and again. Here's what James, again, the half-brother of Jesus had, has said this. Do you remember these words from James chapter 1? Consider it pure joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And these words at the very beginning of James' letter, one of my favorite letters in the entire New Testament, would lay the foundation for everything else that he would talk about. If you lack wisdom, he would go on to say, if you lack wisdom to understand your trials, if you lack wisdom understanding what God is doing in your pain, he says, ask God for that wisdom and he will give it to you generously. He says that believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride. So believers who are hurting, believers who are hurting in humble circumstances, they ought to take pride in their high position. He said, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Why? Because that person will receive the crown of life. He says, in your trials, do not say that God is tempting me. He reminds us, do not be deceived that every good gift comes from God. He says to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For the anger that we show does not, does not like, is not an example of the righteousness that God has done within us. And that's such an incredible verse for a number of reasons. But one of the primary reasons that's such an incredible verse is because what's the first thing that we are so prone to do whenever we face pain and trials? We're quick to... To, to, to speak, we're, we're quick to become angry, and we're slow to listen. That's all just chapter one of James' letter. And he goes on and on, and basically just consider it pure joy when you face trials, because you know that you will grow through your pain. The Apostle Paul, he actually had a lot to say about this idea of rejoicing in pain as well, and I just want to highlight a couple of the places where he says, Something about it in verse 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. He says to rejoice when things are good. Is that what it says? Rejoice when you're happy. Rejoice when you're wealthy. Rejoice when you're healthy. No. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in good circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Rejoice, pray, give thanks. I love this in Philippians chapter 4. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul is closing out this letter to the Philippian church. These are his closing remarks. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And in case you didn't get it the first time, he's like, I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. 
And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And the reason that I love this so much is because in Paul's letter to the Philippians, he he talks about this idea of rejoicing per capita. I mean, there's only four short chapters in the book of Philippians. In these four short chapters, he talks about this idea of rejoicing no matter what you're facing nine different times. There's only one other book in the New Testament that talks about it more, and that's the book of Luke, which talks about it 11 different times. Luke has a lot more chapters in it than Philippians does. But Paul had this very clear message to the Philippians. You need to rejoice. You need to rejoice. You need to rejoice. And so at the very, very end, he reminds them of this again. But then you take it one step further and you realize just how powerful this is that the Apostle Paul is saying this. Because how many of you remember where the Apostle Paul is as he's writing the letter to the Philippian church? He's rotting away in a prison cell. Yet he continually says, rejoice. Not some white collar, easy come, easy go prison cell. But literally like a dungeon. Away from his friends, away from his church, away from his followers. Knowing beyond any shadow of a doubt that he could contribute so much if he was outside of those prison walls. Yet over and over and over again, his message is to rejoice. Then we go back to this night that Jesus was betrayed, and as he's giving his final words to his disciples, he tells them that he's about to go and he's about to suffer. And he reminds them, no matter what comes your way, like like abide in me. Stay in me. Whenever it's hard, whenever it doesn't make sense, abide and stay in me. And then he says this, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And then just moments after he gives this He says that to his disciples. He gives this promise to his disciples. And I believe this is a promise that goes beyond his disciples to a promise to each and every one of us. If we are going to understand who Jesus is and how faithful he is in the midst of pain, we must understand this promise. John chapter 16. He says, I have told you things. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Here's the promise. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. This life, man, it has a way of beating us down, has a way of throwing us curveballs, of showering us with unforeseen circumstances. Yet it's in this very, very context that we are commanded over and over and over and over again to rejoice. But how do you do that? It all comes back to a proper perspective of who God is and what it is that God has truly promised. I think if Jesus had his 
his words for us today if we want to try and figure out how to rejoice in the midst of these things. He would probably tell you the same thing that he said in Matthew chapter 13, where he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field that when a man found it, he went and he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and he sacrificed everything He sold everything. He got rid of everything, every comfort, every pleasure. None of it meant anything anymore. Because he had found the one thing that was of supreme value. I believe that's what it looks like to have that proper perspective of who God is. And the proper perspective of what it is that he's truly promised. So throughout my life, I've had the opportunity to know several people who have modeled this so, so well. This whole mindset of rejoicing, even whenever rejoicing doesn't make sense. I'm guessing many of you have known some of those people too. You remember them because they're honestly some of the most inspirational people that you've ever met in your entire life. One of those people for me and one of those people for many people in this church was Tammy Billharts. This past week, for those of you who know Tammy, she passed away after a long, long battle of cancer and various different kinds of sicknesses. Tammy was one of those people that shortly after I came here, I mean, I came in here and was just like, okay, we need to do this, we need to do this, we need to do this, we need to figure this. And Tammy was just like, what can I do? How can I help? And so we put Tammy back at, at, at a back door where most of our families would come in where they were dropping their kids off to go to our children programming. And she was like the greatest greeter that you could ever find because you would never find somebody who was more excited to see each and every one of you walk in this church than Tammy Billhart's. She would greet with such a smile and and, and welcome the families and just simply beam. And Tammy, she continued to stay there even though she wasn't well. It was over four years ago that Tammy was given six months to live. I remember going to Tammy's house after she was given that diagnosis and she goes, it looks like my time on earth is coming to an end, so I need to make sure that my, my service is planned and it goes exactly how I want it to go. But then she would tell you later on, I guess the Lord just wasn't done with me yet. Obviously, over the course of the pandemic, Tammy stayed away. But then sometime last year, she started coming back. And she always would tell me how excited she was to be able to greet again. But she was walking with a cane and just didn't have the strength to be able to stand at the door. She had decided this last time that as the cancer had fully spread through her body that she had taken all the chemo and all the treatments that she ever wanted to take. And so she would just come and she would go to class and she would sit right back in that area and she would stand as, as we would sing and she would sit at one of the tables out in the, in, in, in the lobby and 
And she would just beam as she watched all of you walk by. She told me, like, I, I went and talked with Tammy a few weeks ago. She was putting on hospice and on bed rest. And she just kept apologizing to me for not being able to be here. And it's like, it's okay. But she just kept telling me how much she loved you and she wanted you all to know how much she loved Jesus and how much she wants you to love Jesus as well. But I'll never forget sitting with Tammy a few weeks ago right by her bed and, and she just talked and 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 talked. She had so much to say. She knew that the end was here, and here's what she told me. God's got big plans for me. She knew she was never leaving her house again, but she is so excited to be in God's army in heaven. And she thinks that she, she knows that her work isn't done, even as now she's crossed into eternity. And then there was this moment whenever she, she sprang up and sat up as far as she could. And as you, those of you who knew Tammy, you can picture her big eyes. She told me this, no matter what happens, I know that my God is greater, my God is stronger, and my God is better. It is amazing what a proper perspective of God and his promises can do. Because when we see God for who he is and his promises for what they truly are, no matter what comes our way, we will be able to rejoice in that day and even leap for joy. So again, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, I believe that he lived and died and defeated the grip of sin and shame and death when on the third day he resurrected from the dead. I believe that he ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father, and I believe in the Holy Spirit, who is the continual presence of Christ within us. I believe that he is the seal of our salvation, the one who allows God to recognize us as his own. No qualifiers. No only if God keeps up his end of the deal. Because he already has. Just simply, I believe. How about you? Will you pray with me this morning? Jesus, I thank you. For the comfort that you give. I thank you that you are the master of using brokenness to bring you glory. I thank you that we can know that our lives don't belong to us, but our lives belong to you. And Jesus, you get to choose what you do with us because we are yours. So may our focus not be our, on our own glory, our own name, our own comfort. Lord, may our focus be on making much of you, no matter the cost. So Jesus, I love you. I believe in you. It's in your name I pray.